Good morning. Good morning. How, how do we say that in Hebrew about Yom Kippur? Gmar Chatimatova? I think. There you go. Yeah, I think it's that one. How are you? Well, doing? at least we're not America's worst Jew because America's worst living Jew in history, you know who that is. To start off, are, you, are we talking about Kushner? Because there's, there's there's quite a few. No, no, no. Kushner's Kushner's number. He's number two of living. The worst Jew in American history. Just to start off with the bad Jews. By the way, I hope you have. I hope you would like this. I'm very good with visuals. What'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? I got chips that say shrimp chips in giant letters. I got because I couldn't didn't have enough time, but I got a sausage with bacon and cheese. Oh, very Breakfast good. Breakfast sandwich. So we very can good. both be trafed just a little bit longer later. I just thought, I thought your audience would like the fact that like, it's really easy to see what these are. It's really more for the graphic. Can you imagine that they're not the most delicious thing I've ever had in my mouth? They're very salty. I don't know, I've never had them. It almost sounds like product placement on our channel, by the way, for the record, doesn't have enough subscribers to be produced or, or, or uh, endorsed by anyone? <laughs> I don't know if this is a real product. It's at the Walgreens and it was $2, so. But it says shrimp chips in giant letters. And I don't usually eat shrimp chips, but I figure if I'm gonna be a bad Jew on Yom Kippur, I'm gonna have the shrimp chips. Where do we begin, my friend? Oh, you're doing the chip thing? I'll take a bite out of my uh, uh, tray sandwich. Well, I thought it'd be funny to mention America's worst Jews ever. <laughs> Let's start from there. So, Yom Kippur Samer. So, there's two categories of America's worst Jews. There's living worst Jew and there's all-time worst Jew because there's some dead ones that are spectacular. It's hard to talk and eat. I know the shrimp chips are dry, so they're at least you can you can talk through them. So, my nominee, my personal nominee, even though I am eating treif on Yom Kippur not keeping the fast, terrible Jew. My personal nominee for the worst Jew ever in America, because we're still paying the price for his evil, is the one and only Roy Cohn. The one and only Roy Cohn, who is, who is like not even a triple threat. Like, so he's the right-hand man of Joe McCarthy. So he's the, he's the legal architect of McCarthyism. Oh, he manages to get two Jews put in the electric chair for extra credit as a terrible Jew. So he gets Jews killed. Wow. The Rosenbergs. It's a history lesson for everyone. Wow. Yeah. It it's sounds like the lesson. Miller version of that time. Oh, no, no, no. But we're still paying the price for Roy because Roy was also a closeted homosexual who enjoyed the company of young men who enjoyed Studio 54. And one of those young men who was not homosexual, but was equally right wing, was a very young, very rich playboy named Donald Trump. Wait, what? So guess who taught our current president all of his pugilistic, litigious, I'm gonna sue you, write a nasty letter, scare them if you don't have anything for them, don't pay anything if you don't have to, and always be on the offensive. Guess who taught him that? Good old Senior, Roy. Really? Good old. I just wanted to connect the dots to this moment because wow. I love history and I can go on about history a long time. But if you That's do a, a Google start. image search, if you do a Google image search right this second, just for fun, because we're talking politics today and the worst Jews, if you do a Google image search right now, 
R-O-Y-C-O-H-N, Donald Trump. You will get page after page after page after page after page of the two of them going in and out of Studio 54 wow. in various levels of intoxication. I will not say on what because I can't tell you I wasn't there, but they don't look sober. And um, yeah, and so, so Roy was the architect of McCarthyism. And actually what we're dealing with in, in 2020 America is really the same bad ideas. It's the same right-wing lunacy, just slightly repackaged. You know, instead of communism and the Russian threat, it's Mexicans and the immigrant threat. Yeah, and, the narrative and, didn't change in terms of the lines or the lanes in which they're swimming in, but they definitely improved the messaging. They, I mean, they, well, they, they just attach to a different crowd, but the messaging is much more poignant. Well, I think they're a better job now. Well, also they picked they picked further others, right? So most white people are so racist that they don't really have friends in the communities of color. That's a fact that you can work with. And in the 50s, what they were selling people on is your neighbor next door is a communist. And that was palpably not true after a few years of pretending that was true. It worked for a few years and it got the Rosenbergs killed. But after a while, it kind of died out because it was hard to convince yourself that members of your bridge club or your book club or your country club were also active members of the Communist Party. Because you could kind of say, I know George and Betty. And I, know I know them. Ruben. They're not that great of a spy. They've actually been to our barbecue. You know, and I don't think they're smart enough to be living double lives. Um, it requires but, a little bit of brain fire. Segway right off the bat. Welcome to Little Gay Guide. Oh, thank you. This is Two Terrible Jews on Yom Kippur. Two Terrible Jews. On Yom Kippur. Uh, my name is Ron Zakai. This is Matthew Denkla. I will give you a little bit of time to just introduce yourself after you eat the chips. So I'll start with myself. Uh, my channel will cover a lot of things. And one of the things that I have promised uh, was to not be stuck into one category. And if there are facets to one human life, then let's portray all of them. This is not a scattershot. This is an honest representation of many conversations you and I had prior, uh, but I did feel you and I, considering the myriad of conversations we had, can just dive into a topic, whichever it will be. Yes, it's funny that the two Jews are starting their first conversation on Yom Kippur, and you are one of my very first interviewees, but why won't you introduce yourself first? Oh my goodness, so I was ranting before, so I guess we're gonna edit that all out, and <laughs> I get a second chance. No, you can no. if you want. I think we can start again. My name is Matthew Denkla, and I have known Ron and loved Ron for years. Uh, we're actually neighbors in San Francisco. And one of the things that we do is we often have like breakfast that lasts for hours and chit chat. So it's easy and comfortable for me to be in conversation with Ron, of course. Um, I am a freelance writer. I've done a lot of activism, mostly around HIV. And um, I have been uh, running my mouth for decades. So apparently it's, it's easy to interview me because I'll just run my mouth. Um, but I have lived in major American cities mostly. Uh, and I've had the good fortune to, well, good fortune and made the effort to know a wide variety of people. So I think I have a pretty broad perspective, despite the fact that, you know, stereotypically I look like a white guy. So hilariously today is a, 
time for us to identify. I often have to out myself as Jewish, and then people tell me I don't look Jewish, which is a subtopic. <laughs> Apparently, I'm a bad Jew from the get-go because I fail to portray Hitler's notion of what a Jew looks like to, you know, let people know. And uh, so that's one of the many ways that apparently I'm a bad Jew. Although weirdly among American Jews, there, if I was straight, there would be an eligibility rise because American Jews in their struggle with being both American and Jews, which I submit is a struggle, um, often look for mates that are Jewish and have Jewish heritage, but don't look Jewish. So that's like a weird problem, both within and without the community for someone who looks like me and actually has a Jewish mother. Luckily for all of us, you're gay. So that changes that conversation. Yeah, and, and you know, there's not as much parents setting up children among the gays. I mean, it might happen in some happy day in the far future, but not so much in my generation. Considering my whole entire family is, I would say not heterosexual, uh, both sisters and my brother, I don't see our mom or father, for that matter, setting us up with anyone anytime soon. Yeah, um, I, think, I think people, I think people, you know, they're freaked out enough and they have enough homophobia to work out that they think I'm not jumping in to set you up. Um, uh, maybe, maybe that'll change. I think, I think that might also be a generational thing. I think when our generation, if our generation uh, has kids, gay or straight, people will be like, oh, you're gay? Okay, great. Well, I know someone <laughs> at, you know, congregation, whatever, whatever. Totally happening. It'll totally, totally happen. Totally happening. There totally. is no way that within one generation, hopefully the level of comfort, the Jewish mother or otherwise, will take into account your relationship with somebody else and go, I can fix that. It doesn't take much for, for, for a Jewish mom to do that. It's, it's transferable skills. I'm yeah. running your life because I'm your mother. It's... I, it's, it's <laughs> Totally happening. I, I can't. I, I would even bet that, that that is happening now for younger gays. For I'm gay gonna gays. have a shrimp. I'm gonna have a shrimp chip to celebrate Jewish mothers setting up their queer children. And I will do my bacon, sausage, cheese omelet thingy. Happy Yom Kippur. Happy Yom Kippur. I actually really like the symbolism of Yom Kippur. So this is where I'm like an ambivalent Jew. Like I actually like the concept of Yom Kippur. I just don't, I, I haven't fasted on Yom Kippur in decades. Like I just don't, I just. Because there is a lot of beauty in the ability to say your mea culpa for, for the Christian side of our audience uh, in a day by a physical action in which at the end of which you are now forgiven. Um, but what is your affinity specifically to Yom Kippur and its justification in our world? Considering I, I, I will call you a secular person at the very least, if not an agnostic or an atheist. Oh yeah, I would, I would definitely call myself an agnostic because I'm humble enough to not be sure of what's actually going on, but I'm not, I don't follow any particular, I don't have a set of observances. So I, I feel like agnostic is the right description for me and that's not being weaselly, that's just sort of saying, Oh, um, it's totally being weaselly for me. You think? Uh, for me, at least, because think of it. It's such a grand construct that if I really try to apply an infinite capability element or, or an infinite prowess to whatever that is, powers that may be, and then try to frame it with a very finite set of, of words, ideations, or concepts, 
which are locked in a finite mind, I find the weaseling out my only way out. Oh, so, okay. Then I'll weasel out. Then I'll weasel out. But I, the, the reason I mean to say that is like, I think that there is something uh, bigger than um, what we currently observe. And it may just be the limits of our perception. So there's, I mean, I've done a lot of reading, not just Jewish reading, but in a lot of different faiths. And, you know, one of the clear things is that faith is a leap of faith, right? And I've never made that leap. Um, I wasn't raised with a uh, strong faith. So I think a lot of the faith is, a lot of people have faith because their parents have faith and their grandparents have faith and it's kind of a habit everybody gets into. Um, and I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, I have a problem with that as an origin story. And I think I touched it before when I say, if you look at your own religion and the role of the dice of your geography is one-to-one, is -one your religion, 99% of the people that, that uphold any religious beliefs are a product of their actual point in time of birth. That's it. Uh, then I find it very much a problem to have any kind of real conversation when it comes to that leap of faith because it becomes, for me personally, um, an admittance of a level of insanity or admittance of a level of, of, let's call denial of plausible belief. So you're requiring yourself something that you will require from an Avengers movie, but you do it in your own life and in your belief system, which then doesn't get exercised. Because if I ask you to be kind, and the only thing that forces you to be kind is, is some amorphous uh, uh, rule book that m more others than, than, than helps, but that is your baseline. And then I argue that kindness is broader than your baseline religion. We have a dialogue that for me is based on insanity. I think we're turning into good Jews by accident because this is like a totally appropriate Yom Kippur discussion, by the way. It may not be, it may not be in any kind of canon, but like totally appropriate Yom Kippur discussion. Um, so that's what happens when you're not the worst Jew in America. Who is we're trying though, we ate treif. I mean, we're eating treif and we're, we're not keeping the fast. The worst Jew in America who's alive is of course Stephen Miller, I totally agree. Because Stephen Miller is literally putting people in camps and cages to suffer and die. So and, and now, and now, and now the, what, what, what is it, the hysterectomies? Which is, I get it, it's small numbers. I get it, but, but please tell me, small numbers and hysterectomies should not go hand in hand in a sentence. No, and also one is too many for people that didn't need or want them. That's, that's, that's my point, my point, thank you. That like, like one is too many. You don't get to say that sentence and try to tell me that the few somehow diffuse the level of offense and criminality that and goes see, into even one. But that's the ghost of Roy Cohn, which is keep arguing and always have something stupid to say back. Shut people down with blather. That is the ghost of Roy Cohn laughing in, by the way, I'm gonna use the correct Jewish term, laughing far away, you can't hear him because he's so far away, in outer darkness where he belongs. I will keep the beginning of our interview just so people have the context, but I will just slightly edit it. I mean, How's I repeat that? myself all the time. <laughs> I, 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 I know because the context matters. Uh, in the vein of, of, of thinking of religions, specifically us, specifically politics, we're in a position that there's a lot of heat and spotlight on the person that exacerbates um, all of the evil, all of the hardships, all of the sociopathic slash psychopathic elements of our American society. And we've got so comfortable at putting him specifically on a pedestal 
and point to him as the solution and the problem. And there is an element that I want to take Yom Kippur being Yom Kippur. Let's take a step back and, and, and really, really dig deep for just a second, because I know you can, uh, and I know I'll enjoy it. What if I say, ignore the freaking symptom, let's talk about the disease. For Yom Trump. Kippur or for? Trump. If we are to forgive ourselves as a nation, Oh, are we holding the, Trump on this pedestal? The disease is, the disease is, there's a threefold disease in America. There's a threefold disease in America. And currently in his current self-invention as leader, although he had no interest in religion earlier in his life, one of the, one of the biggest jokes in the last five years is not that he's kind of rapey and kind of a creep because he's been doing that for decades. Not that he's like a fake rich man because he's been doing that for decades. The biggest invention, um, and I'll get back to those two because they are American diseases, um, is his supposed Christianity, which is like, that is the most successful sales job of the last five years of any brand in America is rebranding this man as even Christian adjacent or the evangelicals call him a baby Christian, which is really, really, speaking of forgiveness on Yom Kippur, calling someone a baby Christian who's in their 70s. Like, you got to hurry up, dude. If you're going to get to mature Christianity. You gotta- just to hold on that for just a second, there's so many babying things about him. Of course. But that I'm kind of okay with the definition. But I mean, no, it's the evangelicals. It's not mine. I don't call him a baby Christian. I call him a fake Christian. He likes to say fake news. I say fake Christian. I'm like, you're so fake. He holds the Bible upside down and waves it as a stage prop. I don't know how Christian that makes After it. After clearing people with tear gas. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. After all, the whole nonsense. But like, even when, he, even, when he, even when he does illegal, crazy stuff to look like he's having a Christian moment, he's waving it upside down. Like, I'm like, dude, have you been to a church? Like, the word Bible should be visible, like up and down, like you're waving an upside down book at people. I mean, he's he's doing better as a Satanist. Like, I think in satanic rituals, you probably wave the Bible. I, I love been... the atheist version of the Satanism, which is like the whole one that argues with all of the religious laws. Oh, yeah, That's yeah, a yeah. whole I mean, other tangent. I mean, yeah. I mean, the serious I used to be Catholic Satanism that like, you know, some people like like, you... like, like the, the scary one. Right, the scary Satanism. I think you do hold the Bible upside down and do funny things with it. And I'm not going to go- get into that. No. So I think the three, the three parts of the disease that he represents, I believe that our president is the ugliest pimple on a, a diseased national body. That like we're, we're, we're putting the, it's not even the cart and the horse, it's the pimple and the person. You know? you. So if I go to a dermatologist with a hideous boil, and I'd like to call him a hideous boil because I'm not a big fan. If I go with a hideous boil, they don't take You're the boil. You're doing him justice, by the way. What? You're doing him justice. I mean, I'm trying to be nice on Yom Kippur. Um, if, if, you, if you take a hideous boil, the dermatologist isn't going to take the boil and study it and see what they can do about the boil. They're going to like, you know, remove it and or put goo on it and or give you whatever medicine you know, antibiotics, whatever it takes, but they're gonna look at the person like you're asking me. So what I would say is when you found a nation and you are winging it and the nation is founded by well-educated, wealthy white men who overwhelmingly are slave owners, 
who overwhelmingly are slave owners, is what I'm going to say on Yom Kippur. Not just a little of them, not just not, a few yeah. of them, but the majority the of the founding fathers, the vast majority. And what's so funny is my defensive white friends love to make the list of people who signed the Declaration of Independence who were not slave owners. And let me tell you, you can get it out in one breath. I'm not gonna do it here, go look it up, learn some things. But that's hilarious because you're missing the point because if you're in jail in any American prison, there's gonna be a few people who were framed and who didn't really do the crimes that they are claiming to you know, be serving time for or whatever. But the thing is, if you're in an American jail, most people, whether or not they got a fair trial, whether or not, you know, la la la, the system works, most people have committed a crime and the other people are at least criminal adjacent. Like they were busted and someone left them holding the stash that they didn't actually sell, blah, 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 whatever. So even the gentlemen who were not slave owners at the time of founding this country didn't have a problem didn't have a problem being in a room full of slaveholders. They didn't say like, oh, wow. This is wrong. Yeah. Later, I found out that Thomas Jefferson had slaves and it blew my freaking mind. No, uh -huh. they all knew each other, right? So I'm gonna say the three, the three sins that we're still doing in is the rape of people from other countries. And let me just go clear here. There was actual physical rape in the sexual modern sense but plot twist, the historic and ancient sense, if you look at the titles, I'm an art historian, of many paintings, it'll say the rape of the Sabine women, which yes, implies Nookie was had later, but it's also literal hostage taking. So in the ancient world and in the ancient meaning of rape, rape was you take people and you do what you want to them. So in that sense, I feel that we can legitimately describe the slave trade as a rape. And by the way, not to get truly ugly, look it up. It's out there on the internet. I sound like QAnon. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the anti-QAnon. You're not the QAnon. By all means, keep educating. You know, this it's is like, why the two terrible Jews are talking on your keyboard. The, the other thing is that actual sexual rape happened to males as well. Let's of just course. own it. It happened. It's a bad thing. So, um, so you, have, you have the rape of, of uh, you know, other peoples as a founding notion of this quote unquote country. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say quote unquote civilization. I think civilization is a really big word that's too early to use for America. Yes, but considering slavery was not just a benchmark, but one of the founding building blocks of almost any civilization prior to ours, is worth of note, but but it's, but that not to excuse it, but we're rather still, to say, we're still wrestling with that. We're still absolutely. wrestling with that, and so slavery is one thing, and you have two other things that are the unique blend of American the American colonial experience, right? You have slavery, and also what you have is you basically have uh, religious fanatics who could not get along with people in the old world, right? And so, that, so that's an interesting flavor because like, for instance, in Australia, which is also a former British colony, it sounds like I'm going really crazy, but I'm not. In Australia, <laughs> there are religious fanatics in Australia, but all 10 of them can have a conference together because it, that wasn't the founding story of why anyone went to Australia. I'm sure some people are very devout and I'm sure there's a few religious fanatics and some of them ended up in the Australian parliament and that's another story, but it is not for the, for the origin story of this country. It's not that dominant. Yeah. 
But in America, so you have this, you have this setup of hypocrisy, and I'm gonna to get to the third one because I'm on a roll. You have the setup of, of hypocrisy and confusion because you have people that are doing the most despicable things that you can name and some of which we don't have names for. And you have people that are beating their chest with how superior their morals and their relationship with God is. Divinity. So that's, that sets up a lot of tension. Yes, and we're, we're, we're living it. Shockingly, overwhelmingly, the people doing this are European. So in terms of these books that are coming out now, which are long overdue and everybody should get a copy of them about white this and white that and white this and white that, you're starting with, okay, I'm better than you because of my religion, but I also get a hall pass to do whatever I please with people that are outside a limited space of people enfranchised by my supposed religion. And that we are still dealing with this morning. Absolutely. This morning on this and, day. And, and outside of Anti-Racism by Candy and all of those books are, are, are must, but get us to the third point. And I think- oh, what we'll, yeah. I, you, know, you know where I'm going? Cause I know you know me. Where I'm going for the third point is there's a Spanish term because it was the first wave, but it wasn't the last wave. There's a Spanish term for this, and it also gets blended in the Christian hypocrisy too, because, you know, some heavy Catholicism. Conquistador, conquistador, conquistador. So you have people that came here for the following three reasons, greedy, greedy, and greedy. So the national origin myth of this country is, I'm gonna take whatever I need to take from somebody no matter how civilized they are, Incas were looking at you in South America, no matter how civilized they are and no matter how nice they are to us, Incas, I'm looking at you again, they can welcome us and throw us a party in their fabulous temple complex. I'm still gonna kill them and take everything. In the name of, you know, my Christian, whatever I think I'm going on greed, about. Greed, greed. Number one, we have not moved away from what greed is we have actually evolved it to the point that is so much ingrained in our DNA to be a taker versus a giver or even a community participator or a community member. So much so that we know the laws of our corporations. We know uh, the laws of the profit. We know the laws of a public company. They all circulate around a very singular idea, which is get the most out of it, spend the least in it which ends up becoming, by virtue of anything sociopathic, very, very evil, very, very quickly. Even the origin story of the Quakers going all the way back to raping the African country, the African continent as a whole, and then bringing people here for the sake of, of basically slave labor, which by the way, 400 years later, didn't change much, changed just enough to be below the surface, but scratch it enough with any friend that is a person of color and the reality is both boring and terrifying. I am a white person, gay man, Jew, expat, and I can without hesitation say that my privilege sits so far ahead of my black indigenous people of color friend, period. Across the board, be it women, LGBTQ or otherwise, I am within white privilege until the gay comes out. But there is something to be said about just how far we've gone because there is a zeitgeist, a moment of awakening, a moment of reckoning that has happened 
in the midst of COVID that takes those three points, those three narratives, those three sociopathic tendencies and brought them into an apex. Let's, let's just touch that for a second. Oh, I think that's, I mean, I think if there's any silver lining to 2020, it's that, you know, when proverbially shit gets real, people will say, and I've had enough of it. You know, like that's, that's the beautiful pendulum of humanity overall is when shit gets really bad. And the danger is that, that the moment can be exploited both ways. That's where I am losing sleep. So to, to, you know, to, to, be, to, to be the bearer of good news and to be the optimist and you know that I am. I'm just gonna uh, have a shrimp chip. You what? I'm just gonna have a shrimp chip and listen. By all means, um, as a humankind, as a culture, as a race, and by race, I mean all of us humans, uh, we do manage somehow to outdo ourselves by bettering over time. That does happen. Uh, uh, take every century, look back a century, make the average across or the median across the globe, you get to that global village that does improve upon itself on every iteration. It does require a level of, of, of almost hubris annihilation or ego annihilation or ego assassination and take yourself out of the equation and look at the global village as a whole because we do better. Uh, oh, I agree. So what I'm talking about in terms of being angry and upset is I am not worried about the human race. Interestingly enough, I want to be clear on Yom Kippur. I'm actually not worried about the human race. Good. I'm very worried about the American project, which oh, is a very local <laughs> subset of the human race. So, and one of the things that we tend to do in America is we sort of, we, we talk about America and we act like we're talking about the world and we forget that like we're 5% of the world's population, 5%, not 50, not even 51%. But five percent of the world's population, or maybe five point something, you know. But we're we're five percent. We're we're a very small population now. We're fat and rich and mean, and we have nuclear weapons, so people have to take us seriously. Um, and we're definitely the bullies of the planet because we'll drone bomb you for little or no reason until you know you're back in the Stone Age. But we're not actually the human race. So, like one of the things I deeply regret is not learning Chinese because the Chinese, it may be their turn, you know, because one of the things that happens in the, in the global village um, with a sort of more moderate historical perspective is that different cultural systems and or empires take place being dominant forces, both regionally and globally. Nobody and it, seats on the throne forever. Nobody Period. sits on the throne forever. And, you know, the, one of the things that we've said in one of my breakfasts is I call it the PNP which is a naughty gay joke, of course, for party and play. But I call it PNP because I also like to teach people a little history lesson. Um, two places where Jews have either been killed or fled or are not much there anymore. One of them doesn't exist. Um, my great grandparents, if they were given a chance to ask in the Yiddish they spoke, they would probably tell you that they were Prussian, which is a country no one remembers anymore. And uh, then Portugal is also a place where we used to have Jews. Not so much anymore, the Jews got pushed out. But there were times and places when Portugal had lots of Jews and when Prussia had lots of Jews. 
Um, and the reason that I mentioned those two countries is at various points, Prussia lesser than Portugal, they were forces to be reckoned with. And one of them has figured out across the centuries how to maintain a sense of itself and its place in the world and a culture and has bent and shaped and adapted. And of course, that would be Portugal, which everybody of everybody age has heard of. Prussia, look it up, really dominant for about two centuries and uh -huh. then evaporates during the World War period, just evaporates for good. Now the land is still there, but it's you know five or six different countries depending on which amount. Which, of which direction you're looking at the culture, yeah, or what well, the I mean, signifiers you know, are. Yeah, yeah, because people were you know in the in the in the late uh, modern period before the modern modern period or the late pre-modern period, if you will, Prussia got bigger and smaller all the time. But it's basically the area that we would now call like Poland, Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, uh, bits of bits of if modern. If you had words of wisdom, taking our three cardinal sins into account, one being Quaker, the second being slavery, the third being uh, greed. You're going with Quaker as just that group of Protestants because it's the Puritans that were the real Puritans. Nuts. I apologize. No, I, so, I went to Quaker schools. The Quakers, if the Quakers had founded America, it would have been better. significantly different. Significantly different. Let's 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 correct that, and I will keep this correct in editing. We have the Puritans, we have slavery, and we have greed yes. driving this narrative of the Great American Experiment, yes. which which both I, I think we share this. The writers have gone bonkers and it feels like the last season of this great experiment. It really does. Oh, you know what? The thing is, the thing that's really upsetting about decadence historically, this is where we're good two Jews point counterpoint. The thing about decadence is it's longer than your imperial phase. If you've built a really big empire, Roman decadence, again, look it up. Roman decadence lasts for a long time. And if you count the Eastern Roman Empire, it lasts for 12 times as long as the class. So, so decadence, your decline and decadence, just like now people retire and they're alive, it used to be that retirement was like a couple of years of fun and then you kick the bucket. Now everybody right. expects to be retired for decades. Similarly, as a cultural system, you can be in decline and it can be ugly for a really long time. So I think, I think we're past our classical imperial phase, not because we have no money left, not because we have no rapey left, and not because we have no Christian enthusiasm left, because we got plenty of all three, but because those systems are no longer as dominant or appealing or necessary for the rest of the world, and we haven't noticed. And because we haven't noticed and we are pointing this out, if you have final words in terms of any, and I mean any insight into the now, into this moment, into this awakening between the apex of Black Lives Matter, between this awakening of diversity and inclusion that really does happen. I mean, 90% of it is lip service. Unfortunately, in my vocational life, I'm seeing the distance between the two, you know, the vocational idea of diversity. Oh, and inclusion. here's where I'm going to be your counterpoint again. Lip service is where it begins because you don't learn anything until you say it a bunch of times, right? Like it doesn't become so I perfectly to, fine. Okay. How do we move forward? Yep. I agree. I agree. But, but, but to people like you and I that see the distance between us, our black brethren behind us, quote unquote, in the rat race, black indigenous people of color, women, LGBTQ+, our group as a whole, we are the privileged one looking backwards saying, oh, there's a whole lot of work 
in order to equate the space and equate the time. And by the way, for the channel, just for the viewers, there will be, definitely be the time in which Ron steps back, me, uh, and Matthew steps back, and we give more voices to those that are not us. Oh, then, and you know, I'm thrilled. If you want, if you want me to bring some some BIPOC realness, you, we can have more tiles on the space, and I can ask questions and sit back and go like, go sister, go brother, go whatever you are. I'm going to go with the Yom Kippur theme and pull it back together again, and go with Tikkun Alum, which I'm probably mispronouncing, but healing the world. Is, yeah, Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam. Olam. Sorry. Uh, healing the world as a bad Jew. What it is, I think the three key questions every American, especially white Americans, have to ask themselves to move forward with a better American project is greed. When is it enough and I'm good and I can afford to share with people, really share with people, not give a $5 donation on Christmas to talk about how great I am, but when is it enough? So that raise $16 million as Bloomberg, not of his own pocket for the felons in Florida when he could literally just do this. Of course. So, so I think people are going to have to ask, what does enough look like? Because um, there's no such thing as enough in the greed system. There is literally, until you are number one and defending your position, whoever's the richest in the world, that's, that's what enough looks like. So actually enough is a lot further down. What's enough look like and when can I start sharing with other people? And then with the religious thing, as an agnostic, it's easier for me to say, am I really needing to be right about every little thing? Like, am I, am I, am I going to say, this is what's right for me? Because a moderate religious person of whatever faith says, this is what my tradition says, this is what I do, live your best life as long as you don't burn down my house or hurt my kids. So what are the limits of my righteousness? What are what willing what limits am I willing to put on my Are you stopping at harm? Are you exactly. stopping at damage? And the biggest one, which is the hardest, but the most obvious, and why I'm a Black Lives Matter supporter, regardless of some of the details, which are difficult. Um, nonetheless, I think it's a great movement, is are we willing to stop treating other people, whatever other is? as if they are toys for us to use and abuse, or are we gonna actually continue enfranchising people and their subjectivity? Are we willing to stop the raping? And everyone would sort of say yes immediately, but then in the details, they would say no. They would say, I like harsher sentencing for black people. Because our cardinal sin is now at the forefront of a lot of our brethren. Absolutely. And, and if anything, one of the things that I would like one on one, either before or after a person of color joins our conversation, is to talk about just how racist our community is, just how dangerously um, racist our own interaction with our community is. Uh, I think it's a valid topic to continue from where we are now. And, and I will leave on one annoying note, and I will say the following, correct me if, I'm, if you feel differently but we are M-O-F-O racist. The gay community- are you, are you saying the local San Francisco gay community? Yes, 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 yes. The I gay mean, community in San Francisco, we have a world to learn, myself included. And the knowledge is, of course, intimidating because you wanna be an advocate, you wanna be an ally, but wanting to be an ally and needing to be an ally is a selfish need. 
I think, I think there's actually more racist communities by far that I've experienced, but what I would say it's problematic, and maybe this is the way I would put it in my words, is there's this magic trick, I'm not racist, I'm gay. And on that note, we'll end that, with... That, that doesn't, that doesn't it solve doesn't it. It doesn't work for anyone. Yeah, I'm racist, but I'm, I'm not racist because I'm gay. Doesn't work, honey. No, no, you don't get a hall pass. The gay card doesn't get you out of the American <laughs> it doesn't, paradigm. The gay card and the racist card can sometimes be in the same wallet. And I think, and I, what I'm saying to you is, I think, I think part of what you're experiencing is there's a frustration that there's, um, there's a nominal declaration that you're in a non-racist space, but that's not true. I, and if anything, it's the opposite because we suck the oxygen of their space, their moment their pedestal, their need to talk to their ails and aches in what we already have done. Talk to any a person of color on our dance floor whenever the fuck they come back, whenever they come back, because I'll edit it out. Uh, whenever our dance floors come back, talk to any person of color and they will acknowledge and make you feel viscerally the pain of being a person of color on the dance floor uh, in any club in San Francisco or otherwise. Uh, on that note, Love you. I love you. you. <laughs> Thank you very, very, very much for your time. This is Little Gay Guide. This is Matthew Denkla. I'm Ron Zakai. Uh, any Yom Kippur last words? Um, you know what? I, I love the concept of forgiving each other and ourselves because I think a lot of what fuels a lot of the isms and the awful isms up to the, up to the big symptom in the White House is people who can't forgive themselves or accept themselves or love themselves for who and what they really are, not who and what they would like other people to believe they are. Um, so- Let's forgive them know, for that, just today. That, that's what we hope to do with uh, any spiritual quest is get to a place where you're healthier and if you don't like who you are, improve as opposed to front. If you don't like who you are, you have a chance to improve. And that's part of the notion of Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur is that the book of life turns over a page, it's the old page. The page is done, you can't rewrite it, it's not up to you, the angel is rewriting it, not you. And, um, and then, you, then you get a fresh start. And so 5781, like do something better. And forgive yourself, forgive others. And, and you know, if, if you can't do something better, then at least be nicer to yourself and someone else. And that is something better. Thank you, sweetie. Love you. Bye. Bye.